in the driver's seat, me in the back. Snoop in the passenger, clutching the Mac. Super fly right next to me in the back. Hotter than fist streets, overheated and strapped. Success doesn't make me, but I am a success. Successfully pull off licks and cash and checks. Welcome to Saints and Sinners Unplugged, where we talk true crime and news of the day with celebrities and difference makers. I'm your host, Casey Sherman, along with my partner in true crime writing, Dave Wedge. Today, we're very excited to speak to Mr. John Payne, former CEO and consultant and all-around oracle of the legendary music label Death Row Records. Let's start off, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Where, where did you grow up and how did you come to be in connection with the folks at Death Row and, and get into this position that you have? I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my friends know me from the east side of Detroit. Uh, I moved out here in 79. I was a recording engineer. I started working at Filmways Audio Services and Wally Hyder Recording. During that period, uh, we did the Grammys and a lot of different shows, the Kennedy Center Honors. So I was an engineer. I went during that period, we worked with everybody from Frank Sinatra to Glenn Campbell to you name it. And then uh, shortly after that, I became the chief engineer of Solar Records, which was home to Babyface, L.A., Shalimar, mm-hmm. Lake, Deal, Midnight Star, Climax. I worked on all of their projects. I ran the studio. I ran the day-to-day at the studio. And from that, just to make them, a lot of other people came in, from Joni Mitchell to uh, Billy Idol's people. A lot of people came in. We did a lot of soundtracks. But to fast forward to get more to the death row point, the death row and the solar records building started there in 1991. It was DOC, Dre, Suge. Joel was the only artist. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Kevin Woods, were the only people there at the time. So basically, I was probably the sixth person to walk in the door. And the way that actually came about, I was on the elevator with Suge. He was coming from down upstairs, and I said, hey, man, you know, if you need my help, just let me know. From that point, it turned into uh, a two-year run. So you started in 91? With Death Row? Uh, yeah. It was actually originally called Future Shock when we started. Okay. Which means you may or may not know. I did not and know it, that. And uh, Death Row. I was 18 when Straight Outta Compton came out, and I loved that album, and I loved everything Dre did and Snoop and Tupac and all that stuff, So, and obviously the DOC. So can you tell us a little bit about those early days and what the label was like, trying to build a label of that nature at that in that era you know it was, it, was a, it was a weird era nwa had just been so huge and they kind of dissolved and and now you're trying to rebuild a new brand how did that all go death row when when sugar and Dan doc left i think one of the beneficial things was the fact that there's a lot that they didn't know about the business so they were able to do a lot of things and not concern themselves with the rules this is why the music was pure and uncut. This is why it was extremely creative. To me, that was one of the most beneficial things. Coming from, from Ruthless, which again, that was from, a, you know, they, were, they learned a lot about the business. They knew really more about being on records than the business. So again, they didn't know a lot about the standard industry rules, that, which to me was very, didn't limit the creativity. As far as it goes, originally they met with Dick Griffey. Suge and Dre and Doc met with Dick Griffey, the CEO of Solar Records. And uh, he's the one that, you know, put it with the studio and helped give them a big push, too. He and Virgil Roberts, the attorney, he helped them get um, get a publishing deal with Sony, which gave a little seed money to start things off. So, as I said, at the beginning, we were future shot. Before Snoop and uh, the dog pound corrupt and everybody came out, it was, like I said, it was Jeff 
the DOC, Dre, and Jewel was the artist. And so at, at that time, while we were still the Future Shock era, and during the course over a few months, of course, Warren G., Dre's half-brother, yep. uh, step-brother, came in with Snoop, and then other people started to come around, and that's when the whole group started to create what is now known as the foundation the heart and soul of death row. So you, you mentioned that you're from Detroit. Think about what Barry Gordy felt in the early days of Motown and all of the incredible talent that he was able to either harvest or surround around himself. Was that, was that a similar feeling when you were just starting, you and Suge starting the death row label? It was, uh, it, it went through the same thing growing up with so on. So being from Detroit and being around those people and knowing the stories of Motown and one of my, my dearest brothers, Mickey Stevenson, was the original A&R man of Motown that signed, found the Funk Brothers and signed out that. So seeing him, and you see a lot of similarities. It was easier, I believe, for us than it was for Motown at the time, but it still it was hard in the sense that we were going into unknown territories and a lot of people didn't have business sense. And like I said earlier, that's what made it so that we were able to get away with as much as we did. Because like I said, they didn't know the rules. So sitting there, I don't think we had time to think about we're making history. You don't realize that until after history is made. You can see the hunger. You can see the passion. You can see the innocence. Okay, remember, too, you, you take Snoop, who hadn't done anything really professional or anything like that. You got him in the studio, and he was hungry. He was always writing. He was always, you could see that there. You could see the personality. Everything worked really well. People were so hungry and so on the same page. People, when I say hungry, they were hungry to do more and almost physically hungry because there wasn't much at the time at the beginning. Now, JP, you, you've said in interviews in the past that there are a lot of skeletons in the closet of the so-called old death row and you've made a, a great distinction between the old death row and the new death row now i just screened the new brad Furman film city of lies starring johnny depp and forrest whitaker which obviously tells the story of lapd involvement in the murder of biggie uh the old death row you know plays a big part in the film i'm just wondering i feel like the film is brilliant but have you seen it and if so what's your reaction to that movie but no i haven't seen it but you know when people talk about death row and the negative things that happen remember as i told you i worked a lot through the 80s i worked with metal groups and all that stuff statistically there was so much more done like you know people driving off cliffs ODing, you know wrecking the car killing their friends all this stuff and this over the course here and, and if, you, if you put that on a scale with death row that's where you got three or four incidents. You got, you got stuff happening every day. So when I look at people talk about, only talk about death row at the same time that say something happened with death row during that week, other stuff happened, but it wasn't every day. It's the 30th anniversary of the label. So it's a time to celebrate all that's been accomplished over the last 30 years and revisit these historic records. Really? And they're all, they're all being reissued on vinyl on cassette and CDs, and also what we've been doing, too, is making sure they're up on all the streaming sites correctly. So we're getting everything back in place, and again, we are going to be reaching into the vault and pulling out stuff from some of the artists, let them pick one of their favorite songs that never came out and put that out, as well as then having interviews and different things like that to help fill in the death row story, too. I do want to close the loop with you on one thing. So 
with regard to, to Biggie and in City of Lies. So, so you're saying that the LAPD and the district attorney's office in Los Angeles should continue to investigate the murder of Biggie Smalls? I'm saying that if they're going to do it with integrity, then yes. Because, again, at least it brings resolution, and same for Pac, it brings resolution to their families and to their kids. Otherwise, it's just this myth that's always hanging over everybody's heads, and people can go to that. They can keep going to that without a solution. They can, they can, make, you know, they can make hypothetical statements. They can, do all, they can tell all the same story over and over again. But if they at least can close it in a sense like either we can't find anything, we're not going to find anything, we don't want to find anything, or here's the story. You know, anytime there's a movie, they volunteer. Anytime there's a documentary, here's information. Here's information. Well, if you have it, it's handy. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's the case. It's not over, you know? Right. They, they, somebody knows. And a lot of times, I don't see, just for the family, for the kids. Or, like I said, just leave it alone. Then. Stop digging him up, you know? Stop exhuming him. Hey, Casey. Like our fans who tune in here on Saint Sinners and Serial Killers, we're all about truth. Working on our projects, I need a boost sometimes. I love my coffee, but I'm really loving these true lifestyle drinks. Me too, Dave. There are six different flavors for every activity. They're gluten and GMO-free, organic, vegan, and there's no artificial sweeteners or additives. They're clean, and they contain all sorts of vitamins and nutrients, and they're damn tasty. You know, True's founder, Jack McNamara, is a former pro hockey player, and he created True because he was looking for healthy energy drinks that wouldn't make you crash. I've been loving Energy, the Orange Mango Wake Up Blend, as well as Focus, the Apple Kiwi Brain Blend. Jack and his team have scientifically engineered some game-changing beverages, and I'm working several of them into my daily routine. And I'm making them part of my lifestyle, too. True drinks for true crime fans. Go to drinktrue.com and use the code SAINTS to get 30% off your purchase. Now, back to Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers. There's something that I've always thought about with Death Row and this whole era, you know, the golden age of hip hop and all that stuff where, you know, it was pre-internet, but you guys also were making records that were explicit so they couldn't be played on the radio. So your path to success had two challenges. You couldn't promote it on the radio. It was hard to book shows because the clubs didn't want, you know, gangsters in there or, or people that followed quote unquote gangster rap. And you had no internet. So how did you guys overcome that to, to build this, this, this movement? Here's what the catalyst was. When we did the deep cover soundtrack, you know, which was the introduction of Snoop, and we had Rage and Jewel on it and Paradise and Poor Broken Lonely, that is what got the attention. Because even the people on the East Coast, once they heard 187 on the cover, everybody loved it. So that actually put eyes on us. Because from... Deep cover to the chronic was almost a year and a half or two, but that opened the door. So it was a lot. It was, it was fine. It gave us controversy in the sense that, that you know, there's some people going to complain, but when people on the other side that look at them say, this could make a lot of money, yeah. you know? So it, we'll, yeah. we'll pretend like we're against it, but we're not going to stop it. Snoop track was such a such an incredible way to introduce an artist. It's such a memorable track. 
Were you there when they the, recorded that track? The first, I was actually the one that mixed it. Were you there when he was in the booth recording that verse? No, they did. They did the verse. Colin Wolf and Dre did the verse at Dre's house. Okay. And it was when it was done because I was actually in the studio working, mixing the Poor Broken Lonely record at the time, and also doing uh, the Jewel and Rage record too, and mixing that. So when that was ready, brought it up to the studio. And then that's when I mixed it, Dre popped in and said, cool, we're out. What is it that separates Dre from everyone else? What separates Dre from everyone else is his ear. So when, I, when I'm talking about him, talking about the way he hears things, so if he hears something, a melody or something's going on, he might say, I want to add this one note, or let's throw this out, or let's put something on that. So the way his ears react mm-hmm. is what, what separates him. He's taking people's projects that, you know, oh, this is cool. And then as they say, he puts, the sweetener on top of it. He mm. put the bite into it, mm. you know, he put it on track. It would have been good, but he made it memorable. Obviously it's the beats, but you know, more so it's the storytelling. It's the story and the message. So, you know, you, you take those messages from the early 1990s, late eighties, and then you take that forward to what we're grappling with today. We just learned that George Floyd's killer was uh, sent to prison or will be sent to prison. How does your message or that message evolve? And how do you feel about that particular case and kind of where death row is as a, as a message board for progression? Okay, first, let me explain how in the early days the message of death row came about. Remember, we got all these people that are coming in that had never actually, a lot of them had never been to Hollywood. So they knew their environment. They knew things that occurred around them. So, and, and then this is where they could write from. This is where their passion came from. That's what I say. The, the, the good thing about it is that they hadn't been around so long that they were now trying to adapt to the industry or say the correct thing. They were speaking the way they knew how to speak. They were expressing themselves the way they knew how to express themselves openly, honestly, and not trying to take their culture and push that aside and be, as they say, politically correct. They were being honest and passionate. That's how those messages got across, and that's why it wasn't as offensive as people should, would probably think it is, because this was every day. This is when they're talking about the drug dealer. This is you step out the house. This is what you saw. It was telling the truth. JP, take us to the conviction of Chauvin. How did you feel about that? You know what? I, I felt that it's, it's a good start. It's a good start. I felt that it was uh, definitely open to minds. I think that, as we all know, had there not been that phone there, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about it. Mm. There would have been some guy that was not, not even named, some guy that was killed. Not a guy with a knee on his neck, some guy that was killed. And, and that would have, at that time, it would have been nothing beyond that. Mm. But when you, when you look at that and you listen to how it didn't have to happen, and then you look at the fact that as me and myself as a black person, I've experienced things and just getting pulled over like that we know that this truth we, we we got to the point where it's like what can we do mm. but now we brought to attention some people still think that they're going to spend money to try to back the cop with this appeal good luck you know i mean you know but look, it's, I, it's, it's also the, the kid kyle that shot the people and he walked past the police they give him some water right. and he's, he's off. but people are raising money for his his legal and his bond so then you look at this, and, you know, I'm not saying this is any kind of race thing, but this is a little white kid, 18 years old, that does this. He's a troubled youth. A, a kid with the Skittles is, is a, you know, he's a thug. But the thing is, is people see this on TV, but, the, you know, we, the, you know, and, and the artists 
see this every day. We grew up seeing this. It's all too common, and I think that's why we're in the moment we're in. And 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 you know, for me, the music of Death Row, you know, Chuck Chuck D called hip hop black CNN. And and I, I've always believed that, and I grew up in that. You know, I'm a Gen X kid. I grew up metal, hardcore, rap, you know, and I, and I love all that music. And what I always loved about rap, especially the early rap, was that it was telling stories, like Casey just mentioned. And a lot of people get too caught up in the gangster, you know, the gangster imagery and the gangster this, gangster that. They want to classify it. But if you listen to the Ghetto Boys, if you listen to the DOC, if you listen to CPO, if you listen to NWA, those are stories. Some of them real, some of them exaggerated, some of them embellished, some of them fiction, but a lot of them based in nonfiction. That's why it resonates with so many people, because it is a voice of the streets. The stuff that we're doing now, it's about the legacy, mm-hmm. you know, where we're getting all the songs back out. If people really want to see what's going on, they should go to Death Row Official. We're about the legacy. A lot of times when people say the label, and I say this no disrespect, they say Trey, Tupac, and Snoop. But if you took the heart and the foundation, Rage, and Jewel, and all these people out, the records would be good, but it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have that emotion, it, have that there, impact. There ain't no Everybody Death Row without Nate Dog. let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Obviously, Dre's story is much different from the story of the artist that you're working with now. Everybody has a different story. We're in a, we're in a different moment in time in terms of the cultural exchange that we're 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 having the conversation slash debate slash argument that we're having not only here in the United States, JP, but across the across the world. Does Death Row still have a major voice here, and what is that voice? Death Row still has a major voice. The voice in the past is still strong. The voice that uh, you're going to hear a lot about is going to be even stronger. Again, the Death Row will be evolving, too. So you're going to have the old voices, and we're going to be evolving into new voices as well in a combination of the two. This has really uh, been been an awesome interview, JP. We, we really uh, appreciate the time. What is, in your mind, 30 years of death row? What is the label's legacy? The label's legacy, first and foremost, is the artist. All of the artists are the foundation that made it and everything they created. That is the true legacy. Because the fact that you can listen to it, you can play it now, you can play it then, and it's still good. The fact that when you play it now, for some younger kids, they don't know that history, but they enjoy the music. The fact that now everywhere, now lately, as you, I don't know if you noticed, you see people are wearing death row shirts. Mm. They're wearing all this stuff, you know, and, and their parents aren't upset about it because now the parents are like, yeah, the music was good. Yeah. You know, it's, well, the parents you know, are big fans. The, the, the parents, parents are like parents, us. The parents are me. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But there's they, a theory they, they, they uh, Shug for yeah. his contributions as well as Michael Harry O'Harris that were part of the team that pushed us to the next level. Can we wrap up with a quick question about Suge? What, what, what's, do you speak with him anymore? What is the status of Suge? And does he have anything uh, to do with death row anymore? No, he's not. He hasn't had anything to do with death row since I want to say 2007. It's somewhere around then. I last time I personally spoke to him was probably was at the W hotel. Like some, it had to be around 2015, something right before he went in. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's been forms of communication, like through different people where they've spoken to him and they send him my regards and stuff like that. But he's in, so I, I can't call him. And at this point, his calls are probably limited to family and certain stuff. But he is not 
connected and there's no ill feelings or nothing like that. You know, we definitely respect what he did to help get the label going and all, and all of that. It's an incredible legacy that you are being the, you know, shepherd of, if you will. And we look forward to, you know, the next 30 years of death row. Okay. Well, I may not be here for that, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, death row is going to last a long time, but most importantly, I owe it all. We owe it all to the artists. We owe it all to all of them. You know, they all were a stone in that foundation, a brick in that foundation. You know, that's why it's so solid today. We're one of the most solid foundations. So, again, one of the main reasons why I'm so involved with this is I want them to be seen and heard. But another thing, on a more personal level, I want their kids and their their grandkids to see and hear and experience what they, you know, what they didn't know. It's been a pleasure to, to talk with you. It's been a pleasure to listen to your music. And I am going to go online and buy some vinyl for that 30th anniversary. I'm going to get me some vinyl for sure. Go to deathrowofficial.com. The vinyl, the, the cassettes. Or man, on the cassettes, some of the cassettes also have bonus tracks too. I had DOC on cassette. I, you know I had that. <laughs> John Payne, the uh, oracle of... Death Row Records here on Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Thank you so much, JP, and uh, we hope to have you back, man. Thank you very much for having me. And again, on behalf of the artists, we appreciate what you guys do. You know, I know your show is kind of a different topic, but they're able to be exposed in such a true way. And, and your fan, and you're being the fans with your integrity, it's all good. All right, brother. Excellent, man. Thank Take you. Take care, man. Thank you. Be well, man. Bye-bye. Music in this episode, courtesy of Death Row Records. The Dog Pound, Dog Pound Gangsters, Lady of Rage, Show Shot, and The Dog Pound, Dog Pound for Life. For more Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers podcasts, go to mudhousemedia.com.